So let's uh, spend a few moments, not really very long, just a few moments, just touching into the sense of being here. So this, mm, it's not a sensation, it's not a mood or a feeling, but it's the, that which accompanies a mood or a feeling. So I'm here with a headache, I'm here with feeling sleepy, I'm here with uh, uncertainty, I'm here with this sensation, I'm here with this mood. Mm. You know, whatever, just trying to really not make too much of an issue about what we're here with. <coughs> it's not very absolutely wonderful. may not be that important or profound, just ordinary dribbly thought. And but here the sense, just focusing a little bit more on the sense of being here with it rather than messing around with it or pushing it away or holding on to it. Find that place. It's very ordinary. Consciousness, mm. or the aware aspect of consciousness, the interior of it. There's not much to do with that except to, uh, I could say, widen into it or relax into it or enjoy it. Enter it. These terms may mean something. But what it really entails is just softening the focus on what we're with. Psychology, sensations, feelings, yes, that's that, and being here with that. And the being here actually itself is quite free. There's no specific agenda, imperative. Doesn't have to hold any ground because it already is its own ground. And then viewing from that place, the future, the past, 
the complexities of our psychology <coughs> that might be happening, uh, our struggles, our mood, our energy level, just viewing it from that place with something like uh, compassion or equanimity. It's like this. Mm. Or even enjoyment. If it's a happy, uh, lovely thing that's moving through past us, then we know, oh, rather wonderful, that one dropped in today like a falling leaf or a snowflake. Just, uh, oh, look at that. How wonderful. Mm. Letting it pass, letting it move. There can be a certain amount of snagging, compulsiveness, stuff rushing in, or rushing around. So we might say, well, firming up by refuge, whatever this means, uh, either convention Buddha Dhamma Sangha or even the where you find a sense of stability in your bodily experience, something that happens, but essentially something that you don't really have to do it, you have to just touch it or attune to that. So there is a sort of inclination, but you don't, it's not as much doing, creating the thing as acknowledging, referring to something that's already present that maybe we lose touch with or uh, they're not clear about. Could be something in your body. Could it be a mental quality such as love or devotion? gratitude or some of this nature but you don't really have to do it so much as remember it it's often quite a deep uh, not exactly a memory because it's not really an event so much it's just an intuition of something that we can touch into that's really rather wonderful because we don't have to do it, it's there. And it's a quality of presence or in the 
quality of something warm, enjoyable, trusting, or a quality of clarity. Call it resting in the real. Yeah, just to kind of wrap some words up around um, what I'm referring to and the significance of it. <coughs> you might say the kind of fundamental uh, question, that how does an unenlightened being get to be an enlightened being? It's one of those riddles. <laughs> How does an unenlightened being, who can only act in unenlightened ways, because they're an unenlightened being, 
how does an unenlightened being who can only act in unenlightened ways get to be enlightened? Not going to happen, is it? <laughs> so the unenlightened being will probably try to get enlightened and, uh, you know, they really don't want to suffer and, you know, cause problems for themselves and others. How are they going to do it? Everything they do gets affected by their fingerprints. It's like somebody walking around with grubby hands trying to clean the place up. Everything they touch, there's a thumb mark, there's another fingerprint. <laughs> they want to clean things up, but everywhere they put their grubby hands, sooner or later, oh, there it is again. There's my, got to do it. There's my, I can't do it. There's the, why should I have to do it? <laughs> there's the, try harder. There's the, oh, give up, oh, relax, oh, there's all that. Yeah. Switching from one strategy to another. And then as I do that, still at the end of the day, we look and think, oh, same marks again, same thumbprint. <coughs> So why the uh, underneath all these um, various um, turbulences and stuck things that we can be experiencing, which seem to be the problem, and of course are problematic, are troublesome, and are conditioned, compounded, formed, Sankarad, activated, creating programs and tracks and uh, structures as they do so. Underneath all that, there's the the parent, the mother and father of them all, which is uh, the Sankara that proceeds from ignorance. Avijja, Pachaya, Sankara, Sankara, Pachaya, Vijnana. So it's the the activation, the energy, the, the program that proceeds from unknowing or not being clear or not having right view. And this infiltrates and pervades consciousness to throw it out into creating, into name and form. Consciousness seeks an object because it's been pushed out, it goes to the exteriors, creates form and is mesmerized by form, physical form, mental form, visual form, psychological form, and then starts reverberating within that, feeling constrained and and, um, constricted and challenged by the very form it's created. Vinyana Navarupa, which is being activated all the time through contact impressions sense bases. So this is the throwing out of consciousness into the world of name and form. And the teaching is with the complete abandoning of naming 
of nama, consciousness doesn't have to reside in this uh, compounding experience. You can't, you know, so it's not external form, but the experience, when the naming breaks up, then the form dissolves and there's no more being landed into that. Consciousness does not go out, does not um, reach out. So this is the ending of suffering. Now, the the mother and parent of all this is this very um, Sankara, compounding energy program, intelligence. When I say intelligence, I don't mean that smart. It means it. It's often a, uh, confusing. It means it has the ability to interpret. That's what I mean by intelligence. It receives and interprets. It can be, but this one is always receiving and interpreting things in terms of self, separateness. I am this. I need to be this. I will be this, or I'm not this. I never will be this, I don't want to be with that. So this is the beginning, that's the separation. There's the sense of a dissonance that occurs, that generates me and there's an it that I'm with. And there's all that activity that goes on around that. (coughs) And so you know, with that tree, there's various, uh, we can have various kinds of qualities of feeling or emotional uh, movement around that, reaching out for it, uh, uh, struggling with it, uh, trying to figure it out, um, all the various emotional sankara movements around that. And, and, but more problematic or more fundamental is the psychological structure that gets created around that. So, you know, the, what's called the men, in the mentality, we have um, inclinations, perceptions, and then view, and then this acquisition of indi- individuality <laughs> expressed, which probably in Western parlance more simply, more is, would be easily understood as psychology. A psychology is the generation of structures of self, generation of a holding pattern, structure of self. Um, Emotions are are kind of active feeling tones that that activate and move around, and they can be happy, pleasing, and displeasing, and we can take issue with that. But the, the, the... Psychology is this generation of a structure to handle all that, to handle those mood swings and feelings and emotions and thoughts, to somehow handle it all and keep something seeming fairly solid and dependable and persistent and coherent and on top of it all and coping with it and so on. This is the acquisition of individuality around that. So as that psychologies firm up, then that is who I am. Now psychologies that can be created and simply exist, simple examples are, um, you know, uh, defending. So we get armoring around difficult, powerful feelings. We maybe kind of trying to 
hold that back, stop it from bursting out. Yeah? So you get a kind of suppression, denial thing, which just tries to keep things flat under the lid. Um, or we can feel that the, the problem is external, so we get defending, armoring against what might be out there to feel we're okay, because actually, really, things are very fluid and, and tender and, and, and effective, and uh, that can be quite uncomfortable, particularly if we're in hostile or, um, uh, or threatening or condemning or punitive environments, uh, which, it, which we can be, <laughs> you know, so, so because the heart is really quite, you know, tender and, and, and effective, then there can be a certain amount of structuring just to keep people out, keep things out, and get the defended armoring experience, and that transfers into the body. Or we can, the psychologies can be, and these aren't, and none of them are actually all that we have. We often have different ones come at different times. We might have predominant ones. And we can notice it often in other, other people. Like, she always feels, or he always feels, I can't do it, it's up to you. You know, what's that one person? Go, I don't know what to do, you tell me. You're, you're good at this, I can't do it. That, that, that thing. Who knows what that is, but there it is. Or it can be, I'll do everything. You know, I can manage, I can do everything. You kind of quite opposite. These kind of people often pair up. <laughs> and I'm quite irritated with each other sometimes, but sort of. <laughs> they fit so well even though emotionally it can be very frustrating because, you know, why don't you do it for a change, you know? Well, I don't know, you're so good at it. So. <laughs> uh, uh, and uh, also some uh, psychologies that seem to constantly wound us, attitudes that, that seem to deliberately wound, create wounding, hmm. punitive, or ones that constantly um, or have a strong tendency to <clears throat> want to tell everybody else what to do you know I've got it together I'm right and you know what if you okay you're right why do you what's this need to convince everybody else mm. you get something like that this is some of the reaching out into and all of these arises, psychology intuits something that's within that it is trying to come to terms with. Yeah. So it either reaches out into that otherness and tries to colonize it and occupy it and control it, or it retracts from it, the otherness, mm. whether that's a person or a situation or an imagined scenario. You know, I think of something I've got to do. Oh dear, oh dear, I feel overwhelmed. So, you know, so I retract from that. Or I feel very eager to get into it, and this is going to be really great, and I can do that and achieve things, so you can have that kind of psychology. The psychological structure doesn't exist alone. It exists 
in a wider field of something that intuits and it's compensating for or responding to. Hmm? Yeah. So we're defending ourselves against, uh, we're trying to convince something that we are, we go around convinc- trying to convince something out there that I am okay or I've got it together. You know, who? Who are you trying to? Con- who are we trying to convince? Who we? Who we? Who we need to prove ourselves to? Because you, know, you find somebody, you know, just walk down the street and say, "Hey, stop you! I'm going to convince you that I'm okay," or <laughs> or sort you out. Um, and uh, this is an exaggeration, but of course, you get whole um, kind of religious movements based upon this conversion, converting people, knocking on people's doors, and convincing them how they they've got it together. Well, you know, and you think, well, fine, if you've got it together, why aren't you happy? And we are ecstatic. We want you to be ecstatic too. <laughs> why? <laughs> you know, so, so these, uh, you name them, you know, the psychologies that come up. And they trigger, so we easily fall into them. The I've got to do everything, or I can't do it patterns it's overwhelmed or reaching out into a world that is flat and inert so I've got to activate it or retracted from a world that's bristling and turbulent I can't manage it so we're pulling back you know that that's that's those are the psychologies and that uh, become the, the nesting place for hindrances. This is the acquisition of individuality or psychology and you know, it kind of, it, it can seem to be the beginning of everything. Like we may approach our meditation from that sense, spiritual practice from that sense. Well, it will tend to fall, we may approach it from a new place, but it tends to go into that place again. It becomes another repetition of that, those life stories. <coughs> uh, these are, because the, these psychologies are sankara, they require energy. Um, it's called the ahankara, the I am sankara. Uh, and this is again something that's, uh, uh, you know, it kind of comes with birth. The I am forming. You start off. You don't. When you start off birth, you don't really have much of a personality. But there's some sense of presence. I am this bit, and then we begin to fill in the details. And over a few years, the personality builds up. So you have the potential to generate a personality, which becomes the fine tooling of how I handle the inner turbulence and the outer turbulence, the inner movements and the outer movements, how I create, how a sense of solidity and coherence gets made out of what is essentially constantly in flux and changing. There's no fixed stuff at all. Yeah something there wants to 
make it sort of solid so yeah there's a solid me and a, and a world out there and I know the various strategies and know how to operate with it there's an energy with that and the energy is a kind of uh, will willfulness mm. it's quite stubborn and stuck and uh, irrational and can't be talked can't talk be talked out of it And the, the, it's very good at uh, directing towards or away from. It's constantly restless. It's driven. It's driven by um, what called these tanha cravings, which is a very powerful word. But it, it refers to something that's not a choice. It's not like a conscious desire. It's more like an addiction. So it's a kind of like a pathology rather than a choice. You don't choose craving. You may choose, uh, you may be motivated in a particular direction, but the quality of cravings, tanha really means thirst. You don't choose or decide thirst. It just comes over you. And then it pulls with a tremendous... Uh, power to pull and the cravings are as you probably recognize as or remember um, craving for the sense realm to bond into to be held to um, find stability in the sense realm of the senses um, and then the craving for being something to form to be solid be coherent, to be on top, to be to find a fixed position to adopt, or the craving to be nothing, to annihilate, to get out, to not have to be anybody. <coughs> and then these various forms of the uh, then inform the psychologies that, that manifest. And they can be right underneath it all, you know, somehow informing and directing what we do in our lives, including uh, the meditation itself. So you can't really sidestep these. But the beauty of the, of the meditation, uh, essentially, you know, is that it, it can you can deepen into an interior where you can see beyond that, you can experience beyond that, experience can, can widen beyond that, I call it widening, but the metaphor is up to you, you could call it deepening or rising up, but I associate with widening because often the psychologies are quite constrictive and drive you forwards in time. <clears throat> and widening is not about moving forwards in time, it's about being more fully present in a wider, more spacious, open way. I don't know if that works for you. But certainly bhava tanha, the craving for becoming, always work, moves forward to, to something that we could be, should be in the future. However, 
that's it, that sense, whether it's a goal motivation or just even the attitude, I'm working through my greed, you know, I'm working through my fear. Well, you're still positing somewhere in the future where that won't be. Still holding on that sense of, you know, I'm going to work through this to something else. Well, maybe there isn't something else. How about that? <laughs> maybe it's just greed, greed, greed all the way through. <laughs> what would it be like that? <laughs> maybe you should bear that in mind. <laughs> because it's like, like you know, pushing a pea along the pavement with your nose, no matter how hard you push it, the pea still keeps rolling in front of you. You don't work through it, you keep pushing it forward. <laughs> There's a guy who did that for, a <laughs> for some, some fundraising thing. <laughs> did it through London and pushed it. <laughs> the pea was not impressed. <laughs> anyway, so the movement forward, even the hopeful movement forward to a time and I'll be away from this, out of this. You notice, you know, behind it, this psychology, I will be. Well, you know, that's not a bad idea. But the psychology is already not, uh, it's already flawed. Unenlightened beings don't get to be enlightened. <laughs> but so, rather than following that, we, but you don't have to be a being all the time. That's, that's the, that's the let out. How does one get to be a being? By relating to these impressions and senses and feelings and psychologies and emotions as this is what I am, this is what I have, this is myself, this is happening to me. This is how it gets how you get to be a being. And a being, once you're a being, then it doesn't get released from being. So he's developing a different relationship to that, to the to the to what manifests in our sense of here and now. As this is this manifesting, and then feeling the pressure to somehow solve it or shift it or you know close those rather uncomfortable, ugly thoughts or whatever it is, sort of somehow squirm through it. And then widening, softening, in in through that into something into through that, and you'll find that, uh, well, you may find or it may happen uh, with skill that you experience a diminution of the sense of being, a diminution of the intensity of being, a diminution in the sense of firmness or structure, something quite soft and fluid, 
Now this is, is not always so comfortable. Because we are, the system is, our system is very much tanhard, a craving, addic- addicted to the sense of being something. And this addiction, as you all know, isn't always pleasurable. You know, you get obsessive compulsive disorders, which are not at all pleasurable, but they create some firmness, some structure. You get, you know, addictions to substances that you feel are degrading, rotten, don't do any good. So you better have another shot to get over it. (laughs) You get addicted to pointless pastimes that you know are wasting your time, stupid, so forth. Addicted to, you know, things you don't want anybody else to know about because you feel so ashamed of them. You're ashamed of them. You know, (laughs) it's still addictive because it creates something, some structure. That's how deep it goes. Things that we find reprehensible, pointless, expensive, foolish and shameful. I'm not saying any of you personally, but human beings will still go to that because it creates some some sense of solidity. And you think deeply sad that there's such loss of 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 heart and of love and of presence that we have to hang on to this trash in order to feel solid, to feel to be able to cope. We had to feel something we can organize around. So really, you know, one way of looking at that widening is uh, a loving quality. And it's not love purely as maybe an emotional tone to it. Love generally has an emotional movement to it, but it's really like a widening and the movement of that widening heart experience. Which it doesn't seek pleasure, but the widening itself has something agreeable to it. You know, it's like like when you're honest, even you have to admit something unpleasant. Some other quality of honesty itself has got a pleasing feeling. I feel clear. I feel bright. I feel self-respect because I've actually admitted that. You know, that's an example of, of a quality of widening. We've seen this thing and instead of constellating and crystallizing around that thing and defending it, we've said, no, that is blameworthy, that is not suitable, that's not worthy of me. And we widen beyond that and look at that, but without sort of wounding. Mm -hmm. That's very much the attitude that's uh, talked about and referred to by the Buddha, saying you just as, uh, you never, you don't identify the disease with the patient. So it's just as a, a young woman or a young man, uh, you know, beautiful, garlanded, as walking around with a dead dog hanging around their neck. And they think, this dead dog, stinking thing is not worthy of me. Why don't I put it down? They don't think they are the dead dog, or the, or that's their true nature, or it's their fault. 
they see it just as, and there's a sense this is not worthy of, of what. Yeah, there's a wider reference to something wider, less psych, less psychologically formed, less me, a fundamental asset that we all have. Mm. Needs to be awakened to. <coughs> And, you know, there's, that's, uh, and there's a whole list of things that describe vijja, clarity, knowing, understanding, um, um, boundless heart, tenderness, anukampa, empathy, um, deep presence. And these are essentially the quality of them, you don't create them. They're not personal. You don't have to build them up. You keep referring to that. Um, and the plight for many beings is that their, their addictive programs have become so, so entrenched that it gets really difficult to refer to anything else but it because those are the ones that jump up and take all the energy. And what we're doing in, in retreat, or we can be encouraged to do in retreat, is just to come out of the self-program into something, into nature, into the natural. Something that you didn't have to build up, you don't have to be good at it. You realize, you don't acquire, you realize it. It was always there. But maybe lost touch with or felt wasn't important uh, and it can only, sometimes it only has a sort of faint presence. But right on the edge is where you sometimes can detect it. You're coming out of the intensity of your, the psychology. Uh, we're letting go of some of our, I want to do this, I don't want to do that. I have to be this, I'm never that. I've got to make it this way, I can't ever do that. Whatever the psychologies are, when you acknowledge that, there, there she is, there he is, uh-huh, may you be well, and <laughs> doing your thing, and meanwhile, what is it that's wider than that, that's wider than that, that's behind that, that's underneath that, that's around that? What is it like when I don't go into that and find fault with it or even try and change it. The mindfulness of body is very helpful for this if we handle it the right way because often these um, psychologies uh, will emphasize and tend to activate the body in particular ways. There's an alertness, a kind of a tensile quality to it or we find ourselves predominantly experiencing ourselves it may be in the face or the head or the shoulders that's quite common you know if I have to say you know just sitting back and feeling what parts of the body seem to be the ones that are there most constantly you know? is it going to be your elbows probably not is it going to be smaller your back probably not legs no it's going to be face, yeah. 
face predominantly and then maybe upper body, chest. And certain, when you get frightened, you may feel yourself more fully forming in your abdomen or constricting in your chest. So it does change, but we might say that the, the rest, the, the basic home of the I am probably be in the face and head for most people. So we go into that and then, you know, though this is where we lead from, so when we make an effort, we'll tend to tighten up our heads. Uh, Anything that I do will tend to activate, you can even get down to right around your eyes, your forehead, corners of your mouth. not really your ears is it so now you can get it down to quite distinct pieces when you get the sinking self where where does she or he live the sinking self the I can't manage I'm never going to do this Throat, is it throat? Mm, chest. Mm. And where does the, I've got to do this, where does that activate? What's helpful, because you may not have answers for that, but just to be able to refer to the sense of the whole body as an entirety the feet, soles of the feet, the hands, the back. And you come from the activated places in your body to the whole of it. So it's just that movement from the rather more localized places where we tense up or shut down into the wider field of the body First of all, the sensation body, the sensation body, that sensations, feet, hands, head, back. And then more, perhaps more difficult to find or to touch into, but from more accurate, there's the energy body, whether you're rising up, thrusting out, spinning round, falling back, or whether that energy can be steady steady flow. This is what mindfulness of breathing is about. Mm. Mindfulness of breathing is about touching into steady flow. Touching into it and very much uh, how does it happen rather than now I've got to do mindfulness of breathing so that I can knock off those 16 stages, <laughs> get the next one and springboard into Nibbana. Well, it's as though even maybe you need to do, try lying down, reclining, where you're perhaps less your activated self. Mm. Reclining position, just noticing you're still breathing. Mm. 
So kind of taking it right down to the most passive and yet tuning into it to, to sense it and what happens there by itself. The way this energy draws the muscles in the lower body to, to pull the diaphragm open, pull it down so your chest cavity expands, you get the signaling comes into the to the chest and the shoulders to open and expand and your head can relax and let the breathing energy and the breathing air gently flush through it and then deepening and widening one's appreciation of that appreciation of this amazing system that you don't have to do there's nothing wrong and really with the breathing, it's often the attention that goes into it to make it um, a source of frustration and difficulty. Because breathing is so um, connected to the mind, to the emotions, so as we get flustered, the breathing changes, we calm down, the breathing changes, when you get uh, uh, willful, your breathing changes, so it's a very, it refers to the emotional body and the psychologies also. So in fact, it may not be that your, your breathing pattern is healthy or is flowing because it's affected by these mental patterns. So we have to, in a way, stop breathing in order to allow breathing to happen. And change the attitude, particularly is contemplating something in nature just contemplating something in in nature like you're looking at the deer or the sea or something tidal and flowing if it's ragged it's choppy the sea sometimes is like that it's cross currents and rip tides and you know it's not always smoothly flowing but it Underneath it, you can sense the flow, and there's a perhaps there's a tight a place where it gets tight, or it it contracts or something. But you, okay, does that? But the under undertide of that is the flowing of it. And you know, if you're still mounting the uh, sense of self onto that, or the one who does it comes around that, maybe you just come back into being here, being here with a body. Just imagine, you know, you got introduced to being into a body. Well, what's this thing? No. It's rather constraining, actually, can be. But we can also notice there's a vitality in it. Notice the elements of it. So anything, once you begin to assume it as being yourself, that, that's the trigger for the whole of the mounting of individuality around it. And then naturally the thing will tend to, the system will tend to become a nesting place for um, various forms of hindrance and misperception and attitude.
The attitude is really very open. You know, when the Buddha taught not self, and sometimes people assume this is some kind of wipeout or annihilation of something so precious, yeah, because that's what it feels like from the self view. This is the important piece. This is what's holding me together. This is who I am. I've worked hard at being this. But the Buddha regard it as a prison, as a as a trap, as a something that's limiting. And they thought it would be good news to understand we could be more than that. <laughs> you know, something very open. So just playing with it. Who do you think lives here in this body? Who lives in this day? What does what does she do? How does she live in a room? How does she what does she how does she operate in that? Is she tidy or scruffy or what? Does she have a problem with the way she is? Hmm? Is she busy being herself, affirming herself, denying herself, finding herself? Is there a self that doesn't want to be something other than it is? Hmm? Something that doesn't think, if only I was a little less of that and more of that, that'd be all right. I'm pretty good apart from that little piece. If that wasn't there, I'd be okay. I'm all right in certain situations, but other things drive me nuts. If only I could manage that. Is there a self that was ever complete and satisfied? Could there be such a thing? That's why the book is, <laughs> you don't have to be a self, because it takes work. And this is about taking a break and heading towards complete retirement. Mm. This, this message, this, this uh, permission. There is something to do, but it is of the measure of the inclination to unplug, viveka, um, accept, be more dispassionate, less less reactive, um, resting or ceasing, ceasing from creating more stuff, and complete giving up. This is the giving up of a view a viewpoint <clears throat> and that's affected through devotion mm. through presence really and through really seeing clearly compassionately how it is there's anything that you don't need to do that's almost the the background question, something you're doing you don't need to do. Just unplug it. Something you're doing feels really good, just amplify that, amplify the experience where you're feeling you're more fruitful places, less constrained, less driven, 
make much of that. And let those messages come be embodied, so you're walking it, sitting it, breathing it. So this is advice to you. This evening, if you bring along your chanting sheets, we can start um, practicing with the Anapanasati chant, and uh, I'll give some instructions on on that. Perhaps this, perhaps this evening. Mm.